Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. This is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. And I pray that you also are reading the scriptures and that these are being a blessing to you and helping you in your walk with Jesus as his disciple. Today we are in the book of Romans. We will conclude Romans chapter 10 today, and we're going to cover this last section. I'm going to begin the reading today in Romans chapter 10 with verse 14, and we will go all the way through the end of this chapter, and then we'll come back and we will look at this powerful closing and this powerful chapter. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All right, let's talk about this chapter and see and seek to understand what Paul is saying here. First of all, let's discuss Romans chapter 10. And of course, we've reviewed this book many times. It's Paul's great treatise on the gospel for several chapters, one through five, deal with justification by faith alone. That's how anyone is saved. Jew or Gentile, does not matter. Does not matter whatever your sin has been. The power of the blood of Jesus can save anyone when we put our faith and our trust and truly believe in his finished work. Then in in chapters six through eight, we looked at the life of the believer and how that's accomplished. And it's done through the power of the spirit so that we can now live pleasing to God. We can do what is right. We can live in the manner that he wanted us to live to begin with so that we live a, a life that is abundant and blessed. Then in chapters nine through 11, we see that we're in this section where Paul is addressing, okay, so what about Israel? Is God done with Israel? How do they fit in? What about Israel and the church? So we saw how Paul in chapter 9 really went into a lot about Israel's past. Chapter 10, he is dealing with Israel's current present condition. And remember, this is dealing with Israel's current spiritual condition in relation to God, in relation to the Messiah, 
that God has sent. And overall, Paul is telling us in chapter 10 that Israel has lack of faith. They have not believed and they have rejected the Messiah that God sent. However, we see Paul's ray of hope in here also in this section. So let's look at this. Paul concludes his evaluation of the current spiritual state of Israel. He reminds us in verses 1 through 4 of this chapter that Jesus is the goal or the point that the law was all pointing to, the aim of it. And he longs for his brethren, the Jewish people, to come to see that and to believe in Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah that God sent, his own son. In verse 5 through 13, we saw how Paul is dealing with righteousness being by faith alone and how that is available to everyone, Jew or Gentile. And he tells everyone exactly how to be saved here in verses 8 through 10. And it is through faith through faith in Jesus Christ, true believing, confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in your heart, God raised him from the dead. And that is how a person, when they truly do that with their heart and mean it in their heart, they are saved. And then Paul goes into verse 14 and 15, giving this ray of hope because he's talking about the Jewish people and how they've rejected Jesus, their current state, spiritually, but they need to be saved. Paul is not abandoning them here in chapter 10. He is saying this is their current state. Their current state is they need to hear the truth. They need to believe the truth. They need to be saved. And so we went through this yesterday about, well, how can they call on Jesus for salvation? if they haven't believed in him? And how are they going to believe in him if they haven't heard of him? And how are they going to hear if we don't have a preacher? And we talked about who that is. It's just one who will announce him, one who will herald him. It doesn't have to be in a public arena, some public platform, like a a preacher in a pulpit or a leader in a Bible study. It can be. Yes, all of those are part of it. But so is someone who takes your friend to lunch and you're telling them about Jesus. Or at the end of the day at work, you start talking to them about Jesus or your family and you're raising your children and you're bringing them to salvation in Jesus. You're letting them hear about Jesus. So it's all of those things and everything else that is included in ways that we can communicate the truth about Jesus Christ from the Word of God and what He has done for us. And so we talked about the beautiful feet. The Word of God tells us that everyone who will carry the beautiful message has these beautiful feet. Praise God. So then he moves from that, telling us that we need to be those who will carry the message to them because the Jews desperately need to hear it, just like all Gentiles in the world do as well. But in this chapter, Paul's heart is really burdened for his people, the Jewish people. In verse 16 of this chapter, 
Paul is talking about Israel's current state being that they have rejected the Messiah that God has sent exactly like Isaiah said they would do because they would not believe the report of the Lord. If you go back and you look in the Word and read that section that Paul quotes from here, it's taken from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. And you go ahead and you read Isaiah 53, and you will see it's all about Messiah's suffering. It's all about the one, the Son of the living God, that they rejected and put on the cross, and he was bruised, he was wounded, he was stricken and smitten of God as far as the Jews understood it to be. They couldn't receive him. They didn't receive him as a whole, as a nation. Thank God many of them did because God will always have a remnant. But he is quoting from Isaiah because they didn't believe in the promised one that Isaiah prophesied about in chapter 53. Then in verse 17 here of Romans chapter 10, he begins to say how faith comes. It's one of the most beloved verses in the whole of Scripture. But notice its context. Its context is in reference to the Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus Christ because people with beautiful feet have told them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that even though as a whole they have rejected him, there is still hope for them because faith can be birthed in them. When it says here, faith comes by, that word is talking about uh, the origination. In other words, the place of origin or the source. It's the place from whence something comes. And so we're talking here about the faith, the same kind of faith Paul is talking about in this entire book. True faith, saving faith, where someone believes in the finished work of Jesus Christ, not their own works, not trying to establish righteousness through the deeds of the law, but the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ and in what he has done. That's the faith he's talking about here. And he tells us in the Greek in verse 17 here exactly where it comes from. And he says, the originator or the source from which this kind of faith comes is hearing the word of God. Now, that word for hearing is talking about the act or the sense of hearing, your actual physical hearing. And it, it correlates back with a couple of verses earlier when Paul's talking about those who will preach the word so that they can hear so that they can believe, so that they can call upon him. Do you see the progression? They've got to be able to hear. But in order to hear, they've got to have a person that will tell them, someone who will tell them, someone that the Bible says has those beautiful feet because they're going to bring the message of the good news of Yeshua to the Jewish people, to these people. And this applies to Jew and Gentile alike. Of course it does. I'm just stressing that in the context here, he is burdened for his Jewish brothers and sisters, and he wants to see them saved. So he says, 
where faith, true saving faith originates from, is when we have the opportunity to hear the word of God. Now, I want to talk about this for a moment. Notice Paul doesn't say your commentary on the word of God. Notice he doesn't say your opinion of the word of God. Notice he doesn't say your particular take or your particular thoughts. He says they need to hear the word of God. That word for word used in this passage is the Greek word rhema. Now, rhema refers to that quickened word, that word that jumps off the page, so to speak, and becomes alive to you. And you see it. Your eyes are open. The eyes of your understanding are open. And you if something is revealed to you that you didn't see before. You may have read that before, but you didn't understand it. It's talking about that quickened word, that word that becomes alive to you, and it's done through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it always comes from the logos of God, the written scriptures, what God has already said. So, in other words, you might be in a message or someone may be hearing a message and the speaker might use and read words from the scriptures and in a moment, the Holy Spirit of the living God can take something from those scriptures and it will immediately come alive to the person that's heard it and they'll understand. They'll understand then so let's take the Jewish people, for instance. Let's just give an example. You might be reading Psalm 22. You might be reading Isaiah 53, for instance. Those are just some instances. You might be reading Isaiah chapter 7, and you come to the point, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name will be called Manuel. And then it goes on, talks about the curds and honey he will eat and so forth, meaning that he's going to be a child. He's going to grow up as a child, and it's he's going to be the son of a virgin. And all of a sudden, it clicks. All of a sudden, you, you remember, wait a minute. That's what they say about Jesus every Christmas, these, these people. That, that's what I hear them talking about. That's what these nativity sets look like. You know, they've got the Virgin Mary, etc., so all of a sudden it becomes alive to them. You might be reading Psalm 22 and you see they pierced my hands and my feet. And then all of a sudden you remember and it comes alive because the Holy Spirit of the living God has caused it to come to life in that person that has now heard it. So it's important to understand that the source of saving faith is when the word of God, the logos of God is preached, is proclaimed, is brought to people. And then through that, the Holy Spirit of God who knows them as an individual and knows exactly what they need to hear and knows exactly how to bring them to saving faith by causing them to hear the rhema word that word that will come alive. But you see, the rhema and the logos are always connected. 
The Holy Spirit will never, ever violate Scripture, ever. It will always be in line and coming forth from what is the written, complete Word of the living God. And the Holy Spirit will reach in and, and grab one of those Scriptures, so to speak, and bring it to life in the hearts and minds of someone who now has heard it. That's what Paul's desire is for his people. He wants them to have that saving faith. And he's teaching us here that the source of true saving faith, and this applies Jew or Gentile alike, is when a person hears the word of God and specifically hears from the Holy Spirit, the rhema word of God that comes alive, that draws them to Jesus. Hallelujah. That's the source of true saving faith. And Paul says right here, they need to hear it. It needs to be brought to them. They need to be told somebody that, that God, God's word says has beautiful feet needs to tell them needs to proclaim the word, needs to declare it in a setting where you've got a class that you're teaching or in a setting where it's one-on-one -on -one, or in a setting in your own home, wherever it is, people need to hear the word of the living God. And when we will preach it to each person, when we will proclaim it, when we will speak it to the people, even in our own family. The Holy Spirit of the living God is the one that will draw them. The Holy Spirit of the living God is the one that turns that Logos word into a rhema, living word for that person in that moment. Praise be to God. Our job is to preach the word. Same thing that Paul told Timothy. Preach the word. And I encourage you today, make sure that you are listening and you are under ministries or you are involved with people who are preaching the word of the living God. You don't need to hear feel-good messages and devotionals and other things like that that can help you understand the word. I'm not saying they're wrong, but don't let that be the only thing. You need a diet of food from the word of the living God. Get into the book. Read his word. And from that, the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to you if you have an open heart to him and you are sincerely feasting on him and seeking him. So when we preach the word, when we deliver the word to someone and it's the word of God, then the Holy Spirit is the one, if that person is ready and willing, the Holy Spirit knows that. And he knows just what rhema to implant into them that will give them life and that will originate faith in their heart and create that so that they then will believe on him whom they have heard. And by believing, they will confess him. They will call upon him and be saved. Praise God. So in the remainder of this chapter, Paul speaks about the current sad spiritual state of Israel as a whole. Because he says in verse 18, he says, Have they not heard? Yes, indeed, they've heard. 
And then he quotes Psalm 19. Now I want to read Psalm 19. I want to read verses 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line or their sound has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun. Then I want to read also in Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 18. It says this, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image, the goldsmith overspreads it with gold, and the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. A few verses later, chapter 40 of Isaiah in verse 25 and 26. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things? Who brings out their hosts by number? He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. So by Paul quoting Psalm 19, which also connects with this passage in Isaiah 40, Paul is directing them to the witness of creation itself. They had no excuse because they've heard the sound. Paul, Paul is pointing them to Psalm 19 where David, now think about this. Today, we have learned tremendously more than David ever had any access to about the universe and about the stars and solar systems and galaxies and all of these things that are out there. And you can look up some of the Hubble images on, on the Hubble telescope site or whatever, and you can see beautiful ways that God has is showing his precious glory in the heavens. Louis Giglio has a series of couple, a couple of uh, DVDs where he explored that. I think they were the indescribable, indescribable, I believe is one. And I can't remember the other one. But he goes into that and he shows a bunch of these beautiful things and how they are glorifying God way out in space. Well, David didn't have access to any of that, but David had access to the very sky, the clouds, all the stars that he could see out on the fields at night when he was keeping the sheep. He saw those things and he knew that those alone speak of the glorious God who created them. That's what Paul identifies, and we've already seen it also in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. So the Jews heard the word of God through the prophets, through the law, 
through the testimony of the Psalms, and they also had the proof positive just by creation, which would direct them back to Genesis, back to, wait a minute, where the, you know, the Jewish people had the law. The Jewish people had the Torah. They had no excuse. God had already told them who created all of these things. I'm the one, he said in Genesis chapter one, that created the heaven. I created this firmament that divides the waters from the waters. I'm the one that created the heavens. I put every one of those stars out there. And in Isaiah, which is their prophet also, I'm the one I not only put the stars out there, but I got a name for every single one of them. And not one of them is missing. So do you see, Paul is directing their attention to, you had witnesses, you had truth, and you still rejected it and would not believe in the God who hung these things and yet sent his own son so that you could be saved just like it was prophesied in Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, etc. That's the way of salvation, and that's the Messiah that has been sent to you. So Paul is proving that they had no excuse, that they have heard. So in verse 19 and 20 of Romans chapter 10, we see the church being mentioned by Paul proving that it is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He shows us right here that the church of the living God, the church that Jesus said, I will build my church, this church that the apostles were now leaders of and a part of, this church that he's writing to, It was a fulfillment of the Jews' Old Testament prophets from their own Hebrew scriptures. So let's look at the two places that Paul references here. He references Deuteronomy chapter 32, which is in the writing of Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 32. And I want to read verses 15 through 21. But Jeshurun, which is another name for Israel, grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, you grew thick, you are obese. Then he forsook God, meaning Jerusalem, Israel, forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God. To gods they did not know. To new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. And when the Lord saw it, he spurned them because of the provocations of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger 
by a foolish nation. So Moses here, all the way back in the Torah, in Deuteronomy 32, prophesied of a coming people who didn't know the God of Israel, but now do, by those who had not been called by the Lord's name, but now are. That, beloved friend, is the church that Jesus built. Paul also quotes Isaiah in this passage again. So I want to look at Isaiah chapter 65, and I want to read to you the first 16 verses, Isaiah chapter 65. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts, a people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of bricks, who sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs, who eat swine's flesh and the broth of abominable things is in their vessels, who say, Keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but will repay. Even repay into their bosom your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, says the Lord, who have burned incense on the mountains and blasphemed me on the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former work into their bosom. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it. So I will do for my servants' sake, that I may not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, an heir of my mountains. My elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. Sharon shall be a fold of flocks in the valley of Achor, a place for herds to lie down, for my people who have sought me. But you are those who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who prepare a table for Gad, and who furnish a drink offering for many. Therefore I will number you for the sword, and you shall all bow down to the slaughter, because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not hear but did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but you shall cry for sorrow of heart and wail for grief of spirit. You shall leave your name as a curse to my chosen, for the Lord God will slay you and call his servants by another name. So Paul is referencing this passage here as well in his proof positive that Israel's current status in his day at the time of this writing as a whole was that they had rejected God 
and that the church, this new people, this people who had not been called by God's name, this people who were found by him and they weren't seeking him. They weren't really seeking after God. And yet God found them, God saved them, including a remnant of his people, which he prophesied, and he built what he called the church. It's not a cathedral. It's not a denomination. It's the church of the living God built by Jesus Christ himself. And it was prophesied in the Old Testament by Moses in Deuteronomy 32, by Isaiah in Isaiah 65. And then we've already seen how it was prophesied when we looked at chapter 9 of Romans because he quoted Hosea chapter 1. And it was prophesied by the prophet Hosea. Three witnesses from, the, from their Old Testament Jewish scriptures that prove that God would have a people. It would include a remnant, which it did. The apostles and the disciples and the early church began originally from those that were Jewish that believed in Yeshua the Messiah. And then it grew and it began to include the Gentiles, which is what Paul has already said also in Romans chapter 9. God always has a remnant, even with his disobedient Israel. And that remnant formed and became part of the church, which now includes both Jew and Gentile. Jesus and the disciples were the earliest part. They were the first. They initiated. But notice then, Isaiah had prophesied and said that this new people of God would be called by a new name. And they were. And the proof is in the word of God. First, in the book of Acts, earlier in Acts, in chapter 9, verse 2, for instance, we see where the church then at that time began being called as followers of the way. That's what they were known as originally. But then we come to Acts chapter 11, and I want to read verses 25 through 28. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, fulfilling the prophetic word from Isaiah chapter 65, verse 15. God said in the Old Testament scriptures that his servants would be called by a new name. And they were. And we began to be known as Christians from the time of the, the apostles in Acts. And Christians are really supposed to be little Christs, not in the sense of divine or deity, but in the sense of following his example. We're to, supposed to be followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. When he put out the call to his disciples, he would say, follow me. And so that's what the church is. So Paul concludes chapter 10, sorrowful at the Jews' sad state of rebellion and rejection at this current time in his day, verifying through the three Old Testament prophets, Moses, Isaiah, and Hosea, 
of the new church, the new people of God that God was building and God would create, those that would be in the world but not of the world, those that would include both Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And he reminds us as he concludes this chapter of the sad state of his people that he longs to see get saved. He leaves this chapter including and reminding us of the Jewish of the Jewish people's need for salvation. They need to hear. They need to hear through people who will preach the word, the logos, and then the rhema word becomes alive when the Holy Spirit will quicken it in their hearts and in their minds, originating faith in them so that they too can then be saved. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, I just want to mention this. The, the beautiful message that the church has is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I do want to read a few of those verses. I'll just read verses 3 and 4 so that we can draw to a close here because I know this has been a, a longer message than usual. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the beautiful message that the church is to herald to others, that we are to announce to others, including the Jewish people. Notice here that this gospel that he defines here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4, is all according to the scriptures. It was all prophesied before and fulfilled to a T in Yeshua. And the Jewish people that Paul cared so deeply about need to still hear those truths. So may we share Paul's heart and give this message to all we can, both Jew and Gentile alike, knowing that the Holy Spirit can produce faith in them so that they too can be saved. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.